Hi, everyone. This is Alicia Halliday, and this is the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. The theme of the 2018 year-end summary was, quote, a spectrum within a spectrum, unquote, highlighting the research, mostly genetic, that is, that demonstrated that autism spectrum disorders falls within a larger spectrum of neuropsychiatric issues that includes things like anxiety, ADHD, and schizophrenia. Now, based on clinical research findings that show that some of these comorbidities, as well as others like OCD, may be on the list, it may go farther than the original anxiety, ADHD, and schizophrenia. There is still debate, however, on whether or not these things are part of a broader neuropsychiatric spectrum or whether they're completely separate, but in fact comorbidities or add-ons to the primary ASD diagnosis. Now, one could argue that the high prevalence of these comorbidities makes these things core to autism, but it really doesn't work like that. However, last year, as you can remember, a study of brain tissue in people with autism, schizophrenia, and bipolar disorder found an overlap in the genetic signals. Not a complete overlap, but some overlap, more than you would expect by chance. In other words, there is enough biological data to make these disorders similar biologically, but not necessarily enough to lump them into the same diagnostic category. So for now, they're separate but overlapping. Now, even more data is coming out from imaging studies, which also shows an overlap between ADHD and ASD, and to a lesser extent, obsessive-compulsive disorder and autism. Really, there are more similarities between ASD and ADHD, the same way there's a higher comorbidity between these two things, but there were some similarities to OCD. Scientists in Canada were able to make these comparisons because they were set up to. They have something called the POND network, which stands for Province of Ontario Neurodevelopmental Disorders. And the goal is not just autism. Their mission is to address the clear and urgent need for new and better targeted therapies in an effort to improve the long-term outcomes for children with autism, ADHD, OCD, intellectual disability, Rett syndrome, Tourette syndrome, Fragile X syndrome, and Down syndrome. The collaboration isn't just about research. It's about research that translates findings from the clinic into the community, and it's also about making sure those research findings are in clear language so everyone, not just those of us with 10 years of postgraduate work, but everyone can understand them. In order to see similarities or differences across these developmental disorders, you need to collaborate with researchers who really understand these issues in kids and ensure that the same protocols for imaging or genetics or diagnoses, that they're all used in the same way, which is what this study did. They administered the same tests to everyone, in this case, the social communication questionnaire and another measure of social perception called the reading of the mind in the eyes test. The second test is a test where one has to interpret the facial expression of people on images. On its face, it seems like this may be something that's most impaired in autism compared to other developmental disorders, but stay tuned for that. Then instead of just looking at the scores, they correlated deficits in these measures with brain structure, volume, or size all over the brain. There aren't any obvious differences based on whether or not you have autism, ADHD, or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or OCD, or obsessive compulsive disorders. So diagnosis alone had no impact on any of the measures. However, differences emerge depending on the severity of the social deficits. 
For example, in ADHD and ASD, but not OCD and controls, thinner cortical and smaller subcortical structures were associated with increased social deficits. In OCD, it was the larger subcortical structures that were associated with social deficits. It's also important to note two things that I'm sure the authors wanted to get across. One, there's a lot of heterogeneity. That means the effects were not universally true, nor were they true to the same extent in everyone. And two, there's variability in ages. The association on social deficits, but not social perception, were stronger for younger kids than they were for older kids. So all in all, the results are consistent with the idea that autism and ADHD may be overlapping conditions with related neuropathology and symptomatology. This includes overlapping cognitive profiles, genetics, and now brain structure. This isn't the first study to show this, and it may not be the last. It's important not only for families that are affected with attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, and autism, but for those who have obsessive compulsive disorder. It seems like OCD is more different than similar to autism, and that gives clinical researchers more data on where to go when they think about the right therapies and supports. In other depressing news, unfortunately, Julie Lowndes-Taylor at Vanderbilt followed up and replicated findings from her earlier study examining employment outcomes in women with autism. She admitted that earlier studies by her and her colleagues and people she may not have even worked before were small. There weren't that many in each group. So she recruited the Interactive Autism Network to ask males and females their experiences with employment. Using this online database, they got 443 adults with autism, that's 176 males, and 267 females, which is great. Through the Interactive Autism Network, they were asked if they had a job, how many jobs they've had or ever had, if they were in school, how long they had been in school, if they were getting any benefits like Social Security, and if they were getting any financial help from their family. And of importance, if they were not working, they were asked why. The results are not good news for women with autism. Almost all women had some sort of co-occurring condition in addition to their autism, and that was higher than males. While there was no difference in the percent of males and females who were employed or in post-secondary education, that was about two-thirds of both males and females, and they did not differ in the number of jobs they had in the last five years, there were differences in those who were unemployed. Of those that were unemployed, 30% of males, but only 19% of females said they wanted to find work but could not. 34% of females said they didn't want to work, while only 19% of males said this. First of all, I want to say that sometimes females don't work. They don't want to work because they're at home with kids. In order to control for that, this study excluded mothers who were staying home to raise their kids. The difference still was there. So that wasn't the reason for this. For both men and women, they said that the workforce was too challenging for them. But why is there a sex difference and what's going on here? There's obviously something unique about the experiences of women with autism that's leading them to withdraw from the labor market at a higher rate, even when they do not have children living at home. And these differences may explain why women have greater instability in the job market compared to men. 
Now, clearly, there needs to be more attention paid to how to make the workplace more accessible for people with autism, especially women. Stay tuned for a policy brief where ASF made some specific recommendation with the help of employers, researchers, and of course, autistic adults. You want some more unfortunate, and when I say unfortunate, that's being kind, information? Females were just as eligible to receiving state or federal benefits, but actually received less of them. Females also received less support from their family. And that difference even took into account if the adult was living with their parent. People with autism may say, well, I'm living with my parents. That translates into X amount of dollars in food and rent. No, they eliminated that and took only people who were accepting some sort of outside financial help from their parents. Now, females might get diagnosed later, which could affect their federal and state benefits. But no, analyses also corrected for this and found that females still got less benefits than males. Do they actually need fewer benefits? Are these needs not getting recognized or are supports less available? This study can't answer that, but it's an important first step to ask the right questions. This study went beyond, are you getting benefits, to how much benefits are you getting, and that's important. If this data upsets you, you are not alone. When Dr. Lowndes-Taylor presented her work er, a few years ago at the INSAR meeting, I got visibly upset. And really, if you're a scientist who's a female, you better not get upset at a scientific meeting. Now, as the mother of a daughter with autism, I get just as upset learning these findings hold true, no matter how the questions are asked and who is doing the asking. In Dr. Lowndes' original study, it was the parents. Now, in the Ian study, it was the autistic adults. This is an important area of research that needs more emphasis. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.